first recognized that you as a designer are like Beyonce. And I, I think that's a really empowering and encouraging realization. Hi everyone, thanks for tuning in to Nodes of Design. To help support our mission spread knowledge, we have a very special guest on today's episode. Let's welcome Michael Hendricks, a designer and a musician. Currently, he is partner and global director of design at IDEO and associate professor at Berkeley College of Music. As a graphic designer, Michael had received more than 50 awards from major US design associations and publications. He is also a guest lecturer at universities like Harvard, Massart and RISD. Michael had co-authored a book about shared mindset of musicians and designers named Two Beats Ahead. In this episode, Michael had shared great insights on design plus music where we spoke on what is a connection between music and design in narrating a story and how creative process and mindset of a designer and a musician are similar. In the later part, we discuss on what are the different ways in which designers can get inspired by musicians to unlock creative inspiration and innovation by active collaboration. At the end, we concluded the show by Michael recommending us few tips on creating a successful roadmap for pursuing a passion and creativity. Hope you guys enjoy this episode and on every Friday, we release new episodes with different creative leaders from around the world to help you better understand different concepts related to design. So don't forget to tune in into Notes of Design every Friday. With that being said, happy designing everyone. Hi, Michael. Welcome to Notes of Design. It's a pleasure hosting you today on our show. Hi, Clage. Thanks. So, Michael, how was your day? It's good. It's good. Um, it's a beautiful, sunny day in Boston. That's wonderful, Michael. So if you could give a brief about yourself to our audience out there. Yeah, I'm uh, the global design director and a partner at IDEO, which is an innovation and design firm. Um, I'm also an assistant professor of music business at Berkeley College of Music. Um, I'm an author, uh, recently uh, co-writing a book called Two Beats Ahead about musical minds and innovation. Thank you, Michael. So what was your journey into design? How did you start? And what are your tips to the beginners on how to start? Well, you know, when I was younger, I enjoyed making things. You know, I, I would make, you know, draw a lot. I would, um, as I became a teenager, I would make my own t-shirts for bands that I like. You know, I even bought a screen print set and learned how to screen print my own t-shirts. My family had a, an old a Commodore 64 computer, which is, I don't know if anybody even knows what those are anymore, but I would do a little, uh, make some cards and banners and things like that. But I actually didn't take any art classes in high school at all. Um, and I was... <laughs> under the impression that industrial engineering was industrial design. So when I went to college and I, during orientation, they're talking about, you know, wastewater treatment and laying pipes. I was like, this is not what I want to do. <laughs> and um, didn't really have a plan B, but when the opportunity to study graphic design was announced from the front of the room, I just felt like that was the right thing to do. So I, you know, I was ignorant. I, I don't even know. I went to a public university, so they just had to let me in because I had no portfolio. I had no, no art classes. Um, but, you know, I, it was something that I was genuinely uh, motivated by and skilled at, turns out. So that's how I got in design. I, I studied graphic design in, at the University of Tennessee, and then I started my career. 
You know, I would say that you can be easy on yourself in that, you know, like me, I didn't have any knowledge about what the design, what a design career was. I didn't even have the experience, but um, I did have the commitment and passion. So if you ever feel like you're behind or you feel like... (laughs) I uh, I just don't even want to begin. It's okay. Just be just know know that you can still pursue this as a career. Um, and the second thing I would say is just commit to getting good at the craft that you love. That's that was what I did. I I um, was really dedicated to becoming a great graphic designer. Um, and I'll I'll be honest. There were several years of bad graphic design in my <laughs> early career. I go back and look at some of it now and I was like, oh man, wow, that's not good. But you know, that doesn't matter because um, it's not about being right from the beginning or good from the beginning. That That's, you know, a, I, I think that's a recent idea that perhaps because we can see so many people online that seem so great and we compare ourselves to them and think, oh, I could never be that. But what we don't see are the years of practice effort that those people put in. And we all have to do that. So if you can recognize that that's just part of the journey for yourself, you will get good um, as you stay committed to that craft. And that's that's my recommendation. Be easy on yourself, but also stay committed. Thank you so much, Michael. So let's begin our episode today with design plus music. So what is the connection between music and design in narrating a story? Well, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing. I didn't really think about it for a long time. And then when I say a long time, I mean, until I was in my mid forties. <laughs> so I mean, a really long time. Um, and it wasn't that I didn't see the connection. I mean, I'm a, because I am a musician and I am a, a graphic designer. I, you know, I, I could make packaging for my music. I could make a CD. I could do artwork for Spotify or whatever. Um, but I didn't really think of them as shared practices. I thought of them as separate practices. Um, and it was a chance meeting with a person from Berkeley college of music, a guy named Panos Pane that he and I actually ended up writing the book together in the end. Um, but he he and I were on some somewhat of the same search. We've both been entrepreneurs. We were both wondering where music and design overlapped. And just to give you a little context, as a designer at IDEO, I'm working in a lot of industries. You know, I it could be anything from like designing mattresses to designing immigration experiences to designing, you know, a new laundry detergent. It's like it's a pretty broad thing. So when I was thinking about that at the time, I was thinking, how come I haven't done that in music yet? And um, then when I met this guy at Berkeley, he invited me to come speak to one of his first classes of his first course. And I was like, I thought, what am I going to talk about? I, I, I mean, I'm like, how do I how do I communicate what I do to musicians? And I quickly realized that the mindsets of musicians and the mindsets of designers that actually are embodied in me um, were something I could talk about. So I, I started from some of the practical things we do as creators. You know, how do we get inspired? Well, as designers, we observe others. Um, as musicians, we listen to others. You know, and they're and they're really the same practice, though. Um, in the end, um, we both are heavily reliant upon collaboration to be successful in any kind of large program. You know, whether it's you know the collaborative uh, nature of a of an ensemble of musicians or the collaborative nature of a project team of designers, we actually work in the same way. I mean, leadership changes depending who has a skill that does quote the solo for the moment, you know, et cetera. So it was, it was that kind of realization that started me thinking, Oh, these aren't actually two different things. They're, they're clearly two creative expressions that differ. But when you look beyond the expression and just to the mindset, what's happening inside of us and the way we think about our creativity, they're actually very much the same. And I would go on to say the same is true for choreographers, 
The same is true for actors. Um, the same is true for uh, architects. I just, I've, um, the longer I've lived with this idea, I've talked to more people, the more I realize that as creators, we all share a core. We just have different hand skills in the end. Um, and that's actually pretty exciting because as a creator, that opens up a lot of possibilities for you. Um, it means that you probably know more about the craft of a coworker or a collaborator than you knew. Thank you, Michael. So in terms of mindset, what are the major similarities that you could find? Sure. So, you know, listening was one I mentioned earlier. And, and when I say listening, it's um, we use a quote from Miles Davis in the book, recognizing the space between the notes. Um, you know, and often in in innovation practice and in design practice, what you're looking for is not what people are pointing out or what is there. What you're looking for is what's not there. Right. And in music, it's the same way. The the notes only matter because of the space between them. Right. The beats only matter because of the space between between them. So if you can adopt that kind of mindset and start to recognize even in design, you know, one thing we do at IDEO is we say, look for the workarounds, look for what people don't have, look for what they're not, look for how they're trying to adapt their lives to a broken system. That's usually where that space in between is usually where the innovation or the new design can happen. Um, experimenting is another one. So when I say experimenting, I don't mean like uh, scientific experimenting. <laughs> I mean, I do mean some kind of rigor to it, though. So a recognition, something about experimenting is interesting is it's it's more about just getting started with an idea. And it's recognizing that perfection is the enemy of good. It's also recognizing that context is everything. So you might think about uh, in your own career where you've tried things and they didn't work. That happens all the time. And that's, that's not failure. That's just trying things and they don't work. And um, often, though, we have in our heads that when you try something that doesn't work, it just no longer is applicable. When in reality, the context could change. That context could be time. That context could be your collaborators. That context could be technology. And so an idea that doesn't work today can work in the future. And um, in the book, we we use Radiohead as an example. I won't go deeply into the, to the story, but there was a, a mixtape of their own practice uh, rehearsals, concerts that came out that was basically leaked a couple of years ago, but it was recorded in 1995-1996. And you hear sketches for songs that they were working on that they didn't release until sometimes uh, that was 2010, 2016, 20 years later, a song that they've been working on for 20 years. So they could have figured out how to make it work for you know their breakthrough album, OK Computer, but then they could put it on their album, A Moonshape Pool. 20 years later. And I think it's a really nice illustration that sometimes your ideas just don't click at the time, but it doesn't mean they're bad ideas. They will come about later. Um, another is collaboration. So collaboration is a mindset of pursuing other people because of their excellence. So it's not, you know, I think a lot of times people think about collaboration in, in terms of, you know, I'm, I'm the brains, you're the hands, do what I want you to do. <laughs> that's quote collaboration. And that's not collaboration at all. That's um, a hierarchical way of thinking about how action happens. Collaboration is a shared pursuit, a mutual pursuit with a shared purpose. Beyonce, we talk about Beyonce in the book. She's a genius at this. If you look at an album like Lemonade, between the music and the videos, she had over 300 collaborators on that album. You know, and that's actually becoming, that kind of collaboration is becoming more the norm. You know, songwriting, there's a song on the, her album Lemonade called Hold Up that's 15 songwriters on it. I mean, 15 songwriters, that does not sound possible, but that's what she does. And what she does is she says, I want you for what you do. So she's not like coming to the, the problem and saying, I have vision for what needs to be done and I want you to execute upon it. Uh, instead, it's I like what you do as a creator. 
for what you're excellent at. And I believe together, working together, we'll reveal something new. There's another song she wrote with Jack White. And when she approached Jack White, she said, Jack, I want to be in a band with you. And I was like, and that's very different than saying, hey, Jack, I've got this rock song I wrote with a guitar solo and I want you to come play the solo like this, right? I mean, that mindset could say, oh, I'm just going to go get a session player anybody that's talented that can mimic Jack White, and they could do that. But that's not what she wants. She wants a true collaboration, peer-to-peer. Bjork is another artist we talk about in this way. She talks about merging with another person. She's like, it's one plus one equals three. It's when you merge together, it's almost like you're submitting to one another's creativity. And it's unclear who's responsible for the outcome in the end. You just know that it wouldn't have been possible without the other person. Many more mindsets in the book. I think there's three strong examples. Um, and maybe as we go through the conversation, I'll allude to a few more. Thank you so much, Michael, for explaining us in such great detail with all these wonderful examples. So in what are the different ways designers can get inspired by musicians to unlock the creative inspiration and the innovation aspect? Well, first, recognize that you as a designer are like Beyonce or you're like Bjork. <laughs> um, and I, I think that's a really empowering and encouraging realization because we admire these artists for their creativity, for their success. Um, but honestly, you are the same as a creator. We're all the same as creators. Um, you know, the conditions around us may not be the same. You know, and I recognize some people have uh, more natural talent than others. But in most cases, hard work is what gets you to your success. Um, more than natural talent, you know. So um, first, know that. Two, uh, if you look at the creative process of musicians, I think you'll recognize it as a designer. So we have we have a chapter in the book about demoing, um, and there's a quote from Justin Timberlake: "Dare to suck." <laughs> and what that means is, when you have ideas, share them early, be vulnerable. Don't worry about them being right. Don't because. Um, What you're really interested in is sharing your intention. And in the creative process with other people, intention is actually the most important thing, not the product of what you're creating. Because there is no one person that's a lone genius that has all the best ideas. It's a myth. It's a myth that we all perpetuate through different kinds of stories. You know, even the Steve Jobs myth about Apple, that's a myth. It wasn't like he was the genius Um, that did everything, right? We know that he had an amazing team around him. He might be a visionary, but he needed that team. Otherwise, he'd just be a guy in the garage. So recognize that. It's about sharing your intention first. And then when other people see that, they can build upon that idea. You know, they can critique it. They can can, uh, take it in a new direction. They can affirm it, you know. Um, And that's what you want. That's That's what demos are. So song demos, One cool thing about the book is at the end of every chapter, we have a playlist that um, reveals, you know, some of the music that we talked about in the chapter or a concept. So in the demoing chapter, it's just a whole playlist of demos. You can hear Michael Jackson seeing Billie Jean uh, basically beatboxing. Um, You can hear um, David Bowie with his demo of fame. And when you hear those songs, they're completely recognizable. They're not the end product. You know, they're not as polished. If you just think, did the artist communicate their intention for what this meant to be? Yes, it's very clear. You can hear it. Now, if you think about that in design, we do this all the time. When we sketch something, that's just a demo, right? That's a song demo. Um, uh, You know, put three options out on the table, which I'm sure you might have experience doing. Those Those are not three done ideas, right? They're three intentions. 
you know, and I would, I would highly recommend that you don't put out intentions you don't believe in, <laughs> you know, as a young designer, I did that sometimes. Um, but you're just expressing three different intentions and your client is a collaborator, you know, and if you think about your client in that way and they can see your intention, they might have new ideas to build upon that. It's not about you being the lone genius. It's about you working in tandem with somebody else. So I would start there. And then I think there's lots of other ways uh, you can be inspired by musicians. I would recommend, you know, if you're really curious about this topic, the book has plenty of examples um, that you can pull from. Thank you, Michael. So how could one can create a roadmap for pursuing the passion and creativity that they hold? It's an interesting question. I, I, um, I believe in the value of thinking ahead. <laughs> Roadmap is an interesting word. And I, and the reason I say that is because if I'm honest about my own career and the moments that defined me, they were moments that I could not have planned, right? So for example, three and a half, in, three and a half years into my career, I was in a tornado and that tornado um, hit our apartment. My wife and I, are, we had an apartment at that time. It tore off the roof. It destroyed our cars. We, bas- we lost everything we had. Um, except our health. We were, we were not injured in any way. Um, and that was a terrifying moment for me, shaped me in a way I could never have expected. And what it did, it did a couple of things to me. One, it humbled me because I realized that my idea of security, you know, to have a full-time job, to have a regular paycheck, to be able to go to bed in your bed at night and wake up the next morning <laughs> was um, was an illusion because the weather can just come and take everything you have, right? So that's very humbling to realize that it's actually terrifying. I mean, if you let yourself sit in that headspace too long, you can suffer from anxiety because you don't know like when is the next tragedy <laughs> trauma going to show up. But there's a flip side of that too that says, oh, if that's reality, then risk taking may not actually be as risky as it seems, right? And so because of that one moment in my life, I within a year, I decided to leave the job I was at and start my own business. Because I realized, you know, I thought having my own, I hope, I thought having this job, you know, it was about having the benefits, about having security and status, uh, the consistency of getting a paycheck. I thought that was what was important. And then I was like, wait a minute. No, it's not. Why don't I try this on my own? Because who knows? I might get fired anyway, right? Um, that was profound for me. You know, another another example, just pretty soon after that, is I was uh, actually I got my own clients, and I I had to drive a couple hours to get to my clients. Um, I was in a I was in a car accident with a deer on the interstate, and it totaled my totaled my uh, vehicle. Again, I didn't get injured at all. <laughs> But it absolutely totaled my vehicle and, you know, obviously it totaled the deer. Um, <laughs> and um, but that was another moment where I'm like, oh, yeah, here it is again. Like, you don't know. You just don't know. So I, I became a lot more willing to be a risk taker and try things. And that turned me into an entrepreneur. I would have never thought to have been an entrepreneur. That put me uh, in situations where I was trying things I really didn't know anything about. 
you know, I, I, I helped co-start a software business, which I, I mean, I don't know how to code anything. Um, but I knew, I knew some other people that did. I'm like, okay, if you can do the coding, then I can do the marketing, the branding, you know, et cetera. Um, and, and then I learned a lot of business that way. So I guess my recommendation, and this, you could even take it back to the book. There's, there's definitely value in imagining your future. I would recommend everybody try that, you know, try to imagine what, like, what do you want to become? Where do you want to be? But it's, it's an opinion or an idea that you need to hold loosely. Um, because there's the other side of this is you need to be mindful to what's happening around you and open to it. It's almost like you're seeking. You know, I would say have a seeker's mindset. And if you have a seeker's mindset, when those disruptions come, sometimes quite dramatically, <laughs> other times not so dramatically, you know, you, you're open to pursuing them and following a new direction. And I found that to be true. I mean, even when I went at Panos, um, my co-author of the book, that was a moment where we both had a seeker's mindset. We were both looking for something. We didn't know what it was. But when we met each other, we recognized that we had a shared pursuit of whatever that ambiguous thing was. Um, and that led us on a path of collaboration and friendship that I don't think otherwise would have happened. Thank you so much, Michael. So what do you think, how is design shaping the future of music and vice versa? Well, it's an interesting time for music um, because, uh, well, it has been, I would say, for nearly 30 years. I mean, the disruption to the music industry is not unique. It is essentially the, the digital era coming to life. That's all it is, right? And music was on the forefront of that. But we've seen it in publishing. Um, you're seeing it today in medicine. You know, t telemedicine <laughs> is absolutely disruptive to the infrastructure of healthcare because this is what's happening in the digital era. We build entire systems based off an industrial economy, an industrial mindset. Um, and the digital era, doesn't think in the same way. The, the industrial mindset is very architectural. It's built. It's mechanical. The digital era is more like it's more biological or organic. And just having those two different frameworks clash completely disrupts our world, but also creates amazing new opportunities. I mean, how cool is it that you and I are talking to each other, that we can see each other? You know, that this can be recorded and shared with, you know, all the many listeners. That's that's because the digital era arrived. So in music, you know, it, because it's been on the forefront, it's just been disrupted more quickly. I mean, Napster came, changed everything. Streaming, you know, has, you know, essentially eliminated uh, other music formats with the exception of niche, you know, the vinyl coming back. Um, and musicians have had to figure out, okay, then how do I make a living doing this? Because the things I relied on for income no longer work anymore. You know, so, you know, I, it's hard for me to draw direct parallels to like a musician's life and career disrupted versus designers. But I'll tell you, there are some things like, you know, when I started design, there were a lot more different kinds of jobs in the field because the practice design required you know, a typesetter, a photographer, you know, a printer, and now um, a typeface designer, even now all of that is just <laughs> available to you as an individual. In some ways that's creatively freeing and other ways that's paralyzing because it's a lot more work to do as an individual. So what I've noticed, and, and musicians would say the same thing. I mean, you have a whole recording studio with every instrument you ever want on your laptop. So I, I think what it actually does is it, it emphasizes the need for collaboration in a new way. 
I think we used to look at we used to look at collaborators for those uh, bespoke skills that they had, and it's kind of like the idea of hey, I, I need a guitar player can get one. But now everybody's a guitar player, everybody's a designer. <laughs> you know, not everybody's good at it. You know, but everybody has access to the tools. And so, as a creator, what I'm what I'm thinking about more often than not now is not not what I what I need to get an idea done, but with whom do I want to collaborate? Um, because we all have access to the tools. We all have probably pretty good access to our networks and the business we want. But what we don't actually have access to a lot is, you know, people with shared mindsets, shared purpose. Now we can have that more easily. You know, um, there's a great video series on the New York Times website. It's called Diary of a Song. And one of the cool things I love about it is you can see a musician from Australia collaborate with a songwriter from Los Angeles, collaborate with a beat producer from London, and they make a hit song for the radio. And they've only met once. For the most part, they've all worked separately. That that kind of working, I think, is something new that we have not really unlocked fully as designers. You know, maybe agencies have, but as individuals, as freelancers, I, I think there's still a lot more to uh, to learn from that. Thank you so much, Michael, for sharing all these wonderful insights with us. So we'll conclude the show by you recommending three favorite books of yours and also people who inspire you the most in this space. Okay. <laughs> so um, I have three books for you. I'm not going to say they're my favorite books, but they're um, among my favorite books. Um, so the first one is a book, if you're in the design world, you may know, it's called How to See by George Nelson. Um, in the last couple of years, it got a redesign by Michael Beirut from Pentagram. But it's actually a book from the 1970s. Um, and George Nelson was a uh, mid-century American designer, highly influential. He was the art director for Herman Miller. Um, he That means he was a person that he actually helped organize uh, Charles and Ray Eames and their legacy um, with Herman Miller. But he also was involved with the Museum of Modern Art. And, and um, when he created his own practice, one of the projects he got was with the U.S. government. And they said, could you create some design standards for America, for infrastructure in America? And he said, you know, before I create design standards, I actually have to teach you how to think about design. So he wrote this book called How to See, um, which was originally a I think a binder <laughs> that he gave to the government. Now is a beautiful book designed by Michael Beirut. But I would highly recommend this book because it's in many ways it's a shared. Um, it was inspiring to me when we wrote Two Beats Ahead. He's really talking about like how do you how do you open yourself up to the world around you and recognize what it's there, what's there. He introduced the idea of visual pollution, for example. That was his idea. Um, and it's a really interesting book. I would check that one out. Um, there's another book by a man named Mason Curry, and the book is called uh, Daily Rituals, Women at Work. Um, and the reason this book is so important to me is because at this point, I think most people have a lot of side hustles. They have a lot of things they like to do. They have their day job, you know, whatever you want to define these things. Um, but you also have responsibilities to your family. You have responsibilities uh, to take care of the things you have. So you might find yourself often asking, how do I make any time to do the things that I want to do? I feel so busy all the time. I feel like I can't make any space. So this book, it looks at um, novelists, playwright, fashion designers um, from the last hundred years. And it looks at their daily routines and how they made space for their own creativity. Um, and the reason I think it's so important to focus on women is that women have um, in society have often had to bear the brunt of a lot of other things besides their profession, you know, caretaking, um, homemaking, et cetera. 
And yet these women have become famous poets, famous authors. And so I think they're very relatable in that way as they didn't have a choice to just say, you know, oh, I'm the Lord of the manor. I'm going to go be creative today and go on a walk and, you know, come up with poetry. <laughs> they had a lot of other responsibilities and they still were able to make time. So the book is inspiring in that it, it shows you how maybe they got up at 5 a.m. every day and spent an hour writing consistently, you know, or maybe they uh, regularly took a, a short vacation a week away. They made agreements with their family and they could go write for a week in a cabin or whatever it is. So I highly recommend that book because if you're struggling with how do I make time for what I want to do, you'll be inspired. The third book is called uh, How to Write One Song by Jeff Tweedy, who is the founder of an American band called Wilco. And Jeff Tweedy, um, he had a great autobiography he wrote a couple of years ago. Um, so this is his second book. And he wrote a book called How to Write One Song so that anybody who just has the ambition to write a song could do it, even if you're not even a musician. <laughs> um, and so I love, I love how um, the tone of the book is beautiful. He has some very practical exercises for how to write lyrics and how to structure it. And he also gives some insight into how he works. Um, which is not so different from the Daily Rituals book I mentioned. He he has a consistent practice that he does as a songwriter, where he does as much as he can the same thing every day. Um, and I find that very inspiring because um, creativity is something we all have in us, but it has to be exercised, it has to be practiced. It's not something that you can just randomly call on and be successful at any more than you can just wake up one morning and decide to run a marathon, especially if you've not run at all, right? So. Um, what I've learned from talking to these different artists, from reading these books, is that to be your most creative, you just need to be consistently practicing your creativity. It's no different than exercising your body. It's just another kind of exercise in your mind. And if you do that, you will be, you will be successful. You will have good ideas. Um, in a pinch, when someone says, I need you to come up with an idea now, that's not going to be hard for you because you're just already in the mode. And that's, why, that's why I like Jeff's book. So those are my three recommendations recommendations. And I'm going to recommend Jeff Tweedy. Check out his other book too, because I think he's really inspiring as a musician, as a writer. There's a few people I've met since we've launched the book that I was surprised to have, find has similar ideas. So um, I, gotta, I actually have to show you a few things here. And um, as a listener, you know, sorry, you can't see it, but there was um, this set of cards called jam cards. <laughs> Um, and they're by a Dutch gentleman named Christoph Zern. And they're really, you know, if if my book is interesting to you, his his cards will be interesting to you because they're more practical exercises of how to exercise a lot of the mindsets that I recommend in the book. And, and when Panos and I were writing the book, we made a commitment. We said, we don't want to write a how-to book. We want to write a perspective book, a mindset book. because. Lots of times people get so caught up in the formulaic activities of doing something that they don't change the way they think. And it was more important to us to think about or to write about how you think, how to shift your perspective and see the world differently. And if you could do that, then you could follow that up with activities. So Christoph's exercises are good because in many ways they are manifestations of the mindsets um so he would be someone cool to check out and he also has a podcast he just started called music thinking so um you know we have design thinking you know christoph has now started something called music thinking so 
that could be something you might want to check out. Thank you so much, Michael, for sharing with us all these wonderful recommendations and great insights. We are looking forward to host you again in our upcoming episodes. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Tej. I really enjoyed it. Oh, 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 oh,